0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Today,
1: today, today,
0: today, with Jeff Vines,
1: we are taking the gospel to the world.
0: Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher.
1: One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them.
0: Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Welcome back to Today with Jeff finds. My name's Aaron, and I'm excited to finish this message with you that we started last time. And if you missed part one of this message, don't worry. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff finds, find our podcast and hit that subscribe button. You'll be able to listen to part one there. But today, he's preaching from the New Testament, and we're gonna be looking at Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 and this is the story of a Canaanite woman who's speaking to Jesus. This is a woman that the Bible describes as having deep faith, and at the moment, she has more understanding than even the disciples. Now, where we're picking up with Pastor Jeff, he's going on about Star Trek, so if you're a Trekkie fan, or even if you're not, bear with us, all should make sense very soon. This is an interesting passage, so let's get into it and finish this message with Pastor Jeff.
1: Do you remember Star Trek, Wrath of Khan, and Spock goes into the radiation chamber to put the ship back online so they can achieve warp speed to escape the Wrath of Khan and his annihilation device? And do you remember Spock is overwhelmed, overcome by all the radiation, so he knows now that he can't open the door because the radiation will leak out, and the people in the ship, the many, will be harmed. Captain Kirk wants to come in, but he can't come in, too much radiation. So they stand there across the window. What does he say? The definitive line, the the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. That bothered me for a long time. As far as Jesus is concerned, in his own sacrificial life, he would say the needs of the many Outweigh the needs of the few or the one. But be careful how you understand that. Because I think Jesus' philosophy, when it comes to how we interact with each other, yes, we can give our, we can lay down, no greater love has this than a man lay down his life for his friend. But while it's one thing to be willing to lay your life down for the many, you shouldn't expect to leave others behind. To achieve the goal of the many, there's a difference. If you willingly lay down your life, that's cool. But you can't get the corporate group to move ahead and leaving anybody behind. That's not the same thing. Which means that anybody that comes across your path, no matter who they are, no matter how busy you are, no matter how great this church is, every individual counts, everyone matters the sinner and the saint, however you define it, the religious, the irreligious, the co-worker that you think is so bad, the boomer, the buster, the generation X, the millennial, they all matter, all of them. And Jesus is trying to get the disciples to understand that the growth of the kingdom should never happen at the expense of an individual that every person matters, and everyone needs to be brought along. And the thing that scares me is that somehow we think that church growth is a means, we use people as a means to an end. All we're interested in is getting our church bigger, and that's not our goal. Our goal is to help people far from God come near to God, because Jesus is the hope of the world. We are plan A, God's plan A, to reach those far from God, and there is no plan B. Everybody matters, those who can help us, those who cannot. Everybody matters. Stay with me now. Do do you know know what the worst thing about the internet is? People who should never be heard have a voice. (laughs) Now, I'm all about freedom of speech, but there are just some people that should never be heard. But the problem is, the internet gives you a platform. There's so many lies. We're frustrated because we don't know who to trust anymore. Everybody has an agenda. So we don't know who to believe. And one of the the casualties of that is that the church in America has actually started to believe that the rest of the United States does not look on us as favorable favorably. And if that's what you think, you're wrong. Yes, you've got the far left liberal media that detests the church, always will because of the moral values. But in a recent study done by Kate Sheldon, listed this past week, just came out. She says, unfortunately, or sorry, ultimately, evangelical Christians might do well not to spend too much time worrying about what others think of us Christians in general and evangelical Christians in particular depending on how you ask the question are well regarded in this country. And she gives her numbers and statistics. 44% of Americans view the church favorably. 38% are neutral. That's fantastic. They haven't made up their mind yet. Which means probably they've never met a real Christian. But they're open. 38% open, 44% favorable, 38 I'm still open. That's a great opportunity. Only 18% have negative thoughts about the church, but 16% of those have an atheistic worldview. So of course, we're, we're not like, she goes on, she says, telling ourselves over and over that others don't like us is not only inaccurate, it also potentially hinders the very faith that we seek to advance. This is an exciting time. It's not like the movie Dumb and Dumber. Do you you remember the scene where Jim Carrey, uh, his character, Lloyd Christmas, is head over heels for Mary Swanson, played by Lauren Holly? Thank you. So he's way out of his league, remember? And he says, we need to have a, it's time for us to have a heart to heart. And he looks at her and he says, what are my chances? You know, what are my chances? And she says, not good. And he says, when you say not good, do you mean like one in a hundred? And she says, well, more like one in a million. And he gets this look on his face that moves from shock to, to happiness. And he says, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> we're not like Carrie looking over at Holly. We're, we're not, that's not our scenario We're looking at people who really are more open to the gospel than most of you could ever think or imagine. But what they need to see is true transformation in your life. It's time that we grow up. Some of you, you've been here a long time. And there should be things in your life now that are different I know you're saved by grace through faith, but you're saved by grace through faith for good works. Where are they? The Bible tells us in James 1, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. He always tells you that tests are coming. Temptations will come, but nothing that is not common to everyone else. But where's the progress in your life? Where's the transformation? How are you different today than you were five, ten years ago? And are you different? My big fear, again, is that I would preach to you for, I don't know, until I die. And there'd be no change in your life. That you'd still be struggling with the same thing you were five, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. There has to be a noticeable transformation in your life for people to see. If they don't see that, there's there's nothing of real substance that you'll have to offer them, at least in their minds. And some of you, some of us, some of us, you know, when you're, you've been a Christian, your parents raised you in a Christian home and you're 25, 26 now and you're still sleeping with your boyfriend. I don't get it. I don't get it. You know better. So that tells me that you're just not going to follow Jesus. And then some of you parents make excuses. And you lie to yourself and you tell yourself, well, you know, they're good with God. No, no, they're not. They're not good with God. You've been addicted to pornography for 20 years now, but you keep telling yourself you're saved by grace through faith. Yeah, you may get in by the skin of your teeth, but you're not going to bring anybody with you. I can go on and on. It's not just those things. It's it's anger, losing your cool. Your, your, there's no patience in your life. There's no self-control. You just you 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 just start to abuse grace to such a degree that yeah, Jesus saved you and He loves you. But man, where's the honor to the Father? Where's the honor to the Father so much that people see a transformation in your life and want to know what it is that's giving you that peace that passes all understanding and that that purity that you perceive or or seek rather in your life, where is it? Yesterday morning, it was Adam Ballisteris' funeral. He died at 31 years old, 31. And I came up on Saturday morning and I tried to encourage the audience and talk a little bit about that our ways are not the ways of God. And sometimes it's very difficult to understand what God is doing. Took me 20 minutes to say, what it took Gary Williams, our pastor who does most of our funerals here, about 30 seconds. And he said to the honest, he said, I know some of you are wondering why God would take or allow this life so short-lived, 31 years old. And he said, but you know, I started thinking of Genesis chapter 5, and Enoch is a man that lived to be just over 300 years old. And he said, you might think that's a long time, but This is at a time when people were living past 900. So Enoch lived a third of his life just like our friend Adam lived a third of his life. And I looked in the scripture in Genesis 5 and I was told that Enoch walked with God so God took him home. What I would give that God would look at Jeff Vines and say, man, you are walking with God. Come on up, man. I'm gonna spare you all the things that are happening around the world. Come on up. Is that you? Is that us? I love you. And I want you to know about the grace of God. But also want to be your spiritual father and tell you sometimes I need to take you out behind the woodshed (laughs) and grab you by your collar and say, let's go. There was another article in this same journal by Carl Vader's. Here's what he says. He says, today's Western evangelical church likes to talk about individual congregational numerical growth as evidence, usually the evidence of church health. But there's no indication that New Testament writers ever thought that way. We need to do what the New Testament writers did. Stop insisting on numerical growth as the best evidence of a church's health and start looking at faithfulness. If we did that, maybe the Lord would do through us what we did through the New Testament church, despite their faults and ours. Use us to start turning the world upside down again. Man, we got to get healthy. My simple word to you. Knock it off. Stop. Do the right thing, man. You can do it. You've got the will given to you by God. Walk out of the room and say, no more. Too much is at stake. Christ wants to transform me that I may be a light in a dark world. Come on, man, you're different. Change. Allow him to change you. He's not going to fight against your will. In fact, in the Hebrews, we're told, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. and Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. But we usually don't read the next verse. Verse 4 In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What does he mean by that? I think it's a reference back to Jesus in the garden. When he was so intense in what he was trying to accomplish, that blood actually seeped into the sweat glands. It's an actual medical process called hematidrosis. He's asking you, when is the last time that you were so overwhelmed with what's killing you? That you fought it so intensely that you sweat, drop some blood. That, thats the call. I know you're saved by grace through faith. I'll be able—I'll be the first one that tells you that. But you don't want to be somebody that just gets in. Don't you want to be someone that has been so changed on planet Earth? That people see the difference in your life. Now, I'm not referring to you just being an obnoxious jerk. I'm talking about being changed so much that people know this is a this is a different guy, it's a different girl. Jesus is not a fan of the type of corporate growth that ignores the needs of the individual. You go hard after the one as long as you realize as you go hard after the one, that one's gonna be looking for transformation in your life. And it's not there you can say whatever you want to the one they are never going to believe you. Now here's the second thing. I only got about three minutes here. Stay with me. Jesus is a huge fan of outreach endeavors that feature empathy and compassion. He's trying to teach these disciples, guys, two things. Number one, don't leave anybody behind. And number two, the way into their heart is through compassion. And so when I would fly from New Zealand I actually wouldn't fly myself, but I would take a plane. I would take a plane, and I would fly Air New Zealand to Hawaii to attend a conference every year, the 10 years we lived down there. There was a church uh, that met at Farrington High School. Wayne Cadero was the pastor, and they would do this DCAT conference, doing church as a team. And I'd go over, and every year I'd go over for the conference. The pilot, right as we're getting over the islands, would tilt the left wing And he said, those of you on the left side of the airplane, so I always request that I got a seat on the left side on the window. Those of you on the left side of the plane, you'll notice the island of Malachi. The island of Malachi is an island where 72 Hansen's disease patients lived, leprosy. And Father Joseph Damien, a Belgian priest, heard the call of God to go and spend his entire life with these lepers to preach the gospel, not only with word, but in deed, alleviate their pain and suffering. He goes to the island. After years of love, compassion, and teaching, all 72 patients become Christ followers. They're just overwhelmed at his compassion. Every morning he would start his sermon on Sunday by saying, my fellow believers, and then he would give him exhortations. And then one Saturday morning, as he was making hot tea, he spilled hot tea on his left leg and on the top of his foot, and he realized he had no feeling. The scalding water didn't do anything, and he realized he had become a leper. And from then on, he stood up to address the congregation until his death. My fellow believers, my fellow lepers, this is the word of the Lord. When he died, The Belgium government demanded that his body be flown back to Belgium to be buried as a national hero. The people of Malachi said no. He gave his life for us. He belongs to us. After a lot of bureaucracy and red tape, they came to a compromise. The body was flown back to Belgium. Father Joseph Damien is buried as a national hero. But before flying him back, they cut off his right arm because the people of Malachi said, this is the arm that reached out in compassion to us, it needs to be buried here. And if you go to Malachi today, you'll find the burial place of the right arm of compassion of Father Joseph Damien. In 2004, when the tsunami struck on Boxing Day, December 26th, 180,000 Indonesians were killed, 200,000 homes destroyed. It just so happened that in the middle of that event I was debating a friendly debate with an Islamic cleric from Wellington. So we were going back and forth in discussion a very cordial discussion back and forth on the deity of Christ on the power of Jesus on the importance of Muhammad we were going back and forth. When the tsunami struck his letters stopped coming and then he sent me a note, and I can't read the whole thing. In response to the Christian organizations that poured in to give aid and relief to those who suffered predominantly Islam, he wrote Pastor Jeff, while I disagree with your theological view of Jesus, I do admit that his people can sometimes be impressive. Can we postpone our conversation for a short season? And what he was simply saying was this. I'm having a difficult time complaining about Christians right now. They are saving my people. We got to get this right. I'm asking you to make a commitment to two things. Number one, to walk out of here and say enough. Whatever it is in your life, enough. I'm asking you fathers and mothers to have the courage to speak to your children and to say it's enough now. You're a Christ follower. This is not okay. I love you no matter what you do. I do love you. Make sure they know that. But this is not okay. This is not okay. And then I'm asking you to pray that God would show you the one life, who it is that he brings across your path every day. This means everybody. This means if you're 12 years old, your friend at school, this means if you're 18, this means if you're 25, this means if you're a pastor of a church. This means if you're in the tech booth, if you're on staff, if you relate, whoever you are, the call of Jesus is nobody gets left behind, and every person matters. And it's usually the person you least believe will ever come to Christ. They're usually the first ones. That's the story of Matthew 15. Nobody gets left behind. Compassion is the way in, but there's got to be transformation in your life. I'm going to risk it here. That's usually dangerous for pastors. Don't read too much into this, just hear my heart. No matter where you stand on illegal immigration, your job as a Christ follower is to help the poor, to feed people who are hungry. To give clothing to those who don't have clothing. Your job as an individual Christian is to help whoever God brings your way. You may have a political position, but your political position and your individual responsibility are not often the same. It's the same way in Romans 13. In Romans 13, what are we told? As an individual, your responsibility is to forgive everyone who offends you. As a citizen of the government, your responsibility is that the government would bring justice to the world. The government's responsibility is justice. If a rapist is convicted, he goes to prison, but your job is to forgive him. Our job is to show compassion to every single person God brings across our path. And when we do that, we'll change the world. <laughs> Father in heaven, I am thankful for the power of Matthew chapter 15, the story that through your Holy Spirit we have seen, we've heard. Open our eyes to the good news of the gospel, of how while we were sinners, you reached out to us. While were we on the outside, you brought us on the inside. I pray, Lord Jesus that there'd be a lot of repentance happening here. There'd be a lot of courage for parents to speak with their kids. There would be conviction and it would all be tempered by grace. I pray that five, 10 years from now that every single person in this room would have had an experience whereby they bring a one life into your presence and to know and experience the joy of helping someone far come near to God. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to podcasts.